Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. do we are the boys in white and blue and we're back for another episode of there's still time the aftn soccer show broadcasting on citr radio 101.9 fm i'm michael mccall i'm steve pander i'm zachary adam eisenheimer i'm navid machinchi it's a quiet week it's gonna be a short podcast not much to to chat about really is there oh i guess maybe there is what a week. Where do you start? Which is one of the things that we were pondering for this whole show. So I've looked at how we can do this because obviously there is a lot to talk about. I felt on Thursday night that the big talking point for the show on Sunday was going to be that loss to Pacific FC and how the team bounced back in MLS play on Sunday. Now, both of those things will be covered tonight. But sandwiched in between that, Mark DeSantis and his brother Phil DeSantis were fired. Not at five o'clock on Friday, as some of us had joked on Thursday night, but early Friday afternoon as well. We're people, gonna... didn't get, people didn't get that when I tweeted it out. No. Right, I saw that. I didn't get it at all. I guess they don't think it's bad news, so they wanted to get it out a little <laughs> bit early. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's probably true. Well, I'm assuming they probably want to get out for the uh, 3 o'clock sports centre. That's yes. uh, local for us at 6 o'clock in Ontario. I mean, I'll be honest. It was terrible timing for me because oh, yeah. I was still on the island and we were going from Victoria up to Nanaimo to, to see Caitlin's dad. We'd stopped off in Sydney. There was a... Mark's presser was planned for 1 o'clock. So I got us a nice seat by the water, beautiful view... Penny, our dog, and Caitlin were all settled. And then 10 minutes before it was set to start, Nathan sends a message going, oh, um, the press conference has been delayed until 3 o'clock. And I was like, oh, okay then. So I thought, we'll get in the car, we'll, do, we'll just drive. Then Har gives me a call to tell me that Mark has been fired. And there's still a press conference at 3, but now it's with Axel talking about the the sacking of MDS and PDS, which I couldn't get on because I ended up being stuck in the highway in traffic and I couldn't even turn off to get on the call. So sadly, I missed all that. But we're, we're going to look at a lot of things tonight. I'm going to split the show basically into three parts. You can look at it kind of as past, present, future 
if you want. I just think it's, it's going to be a nice way to kind of scan. And we're going to kick things off, really, by, by looking at the catalyst to that started this chain of events. The final straw, if you were, for Axel in terms of Mark being the, the head coach of the Whitecaps. And that is, of course, that game on Thursday, Canadian Championship. And 4-3, fantastic game, Pacific FC win that. And it was a game that always had the makings of being a banana skin for the Whitecaps. Mark told us on last week's show that he was taking the competition seriously. And you certainly can't say he didn't because that was about as strong a lineup I think, that he could have put out there. Overall, the performance though was poor, poor, poor. Pacific were always going to be fired up. They were from the start. The Whitecaps were flat. They looked to have very little spark. How they weren't fired up for this, I don't know. But maybe maybe that was indicative, really, of other issues that has ended up seeing MDS fired. Could he maybe not motivate the team the way they needed to be? We've seen so many flat first halves. Now, I, I want to start with Zach, because Zach and me were the, the two of us that, that were at the game. And we certainly saw a different side for both teams at training on Wednesday. I think it's fair to say that. Yeah, it was a tale of two halves or two, yeah, two different training sessions. It, it was like night and day. The Pacific one, which we went to first at like was 10 in the morning, mm. up the beat. It was joyful. Uh, there was passion. You could see the genuine care between teammates and staff and coaches and uh, just, a, just there was a great spirit about it. And then, was it, well, we got in probably 520. Oh, yeah, because the Whitecaps kept their training closed for the first 40 minutes. That's how seriously Mark was, was taking this. He didn't want any spies, although Pa thought we were spies for the Whitecaps. He, okay. he was joking. We did not know that as he's yelling at us to get out because we were Whitecaps spies. Yeah. And then he called us down and I was going to say he, he gave us fist bumps and hugs. He didn't do that, of course, because of COVID protocol. So ignore that. Yeah, that was that was quite enjoyable. Um, but um, Whitecaps training was like passionless and like not maybe not flat, but it was it was just like a there a bunch of people at work, like just doing their job. And like there was not there was not a lot of joy. There was not a lot of smiles. There was not a lot of. Uh, they probably didn't feel like being there. They didn't want, probably didn't want to be there. Well, there was not <laughs> signs of like camaraderie and whatever. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like no one was, there was no blows or there was nothing like that, but just the spirit was like the opposite. And uh, yeah, it was, it was yeah, quite like telling. At the Pacific one, we had Pa and Victor Blasco doing kind of sumo wrestling or like old style <laughs> Greco wrestling. That was fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing. I mean, I mean, some people have listened to the extra podcast and just heard a little bit about Pa's passion and his approach. And and some people probably know that from the past as well. But one of the things that stood out for me, like, I think we talked about this, you and I, just a little, but one of the things where you saw, and I know it's partly because it's a different level, I'm sure, or a different, you know, the, the, the leagues there are different and the clubs there are much different. But one of the things that you saw was Pa Mutaka, after training, helping the people i'm not sure if they were from pacific or from the csa mm. set up the advertising banners you no know, way. in the section 
Right? Like, uh, when's the last time you saw a coach? I mean, he didn't do everything. He didn't do it all. But he literally, like, helped them, like, figure a couple things out or, or spread out the banners and get them, you know, lined uh, up or whatever. Like, th- yeah, just very, yeah. very, very different. <laughs> Very different. The, the, the players also went in for their lunch and Paz like, you're not sitting in, you're coming out, you're all eating it on the pitch because oh, you need yeah. some sun. And I can't remember who it was. He said, especially you with your, your white skin. Ba- Bassett? <laughs> Probably Ollie Bassett, to be <laughs> fair. But I'm not sure he can go in the sun too much. He's a bit like me. Uh-huh. So, I mean, we won't break down the game. We won't break down the goals. I think there was enough breakdowns for the goals in the Whitecaps' defence. But I, I want to get your thoughts on the game and the performance from both teams and just the overall results. So, I mean, Naveed, I, I know you were watching the game. Yeah. Just what what did you make of it on, on how it played out? Well, first of all, I, I want to say I wish I could be there with you guys because it really is a historical moment for the whole BC soccer community. Yeah. And I think I was probably the only one in the US watching the game. <laughs> and maybe the RSL scouts or analysts, whatever you want to call them. Oh, they'd have been rubbing their hands. <laughs> exactly. No, but overall, I mean, I wasn't able to watch it live, but uh, I watched it like literally it was like at midnight, twelve, and just the first. Oh, 10 that was minutes. when Axel was up ordering his. <laughs> exactly, probably. <laughs> Boy, the first ten minutes, I was already my head was all over the place. I was like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> and obviously, I mean, I'm so delightful for Pa. I mean, the mm. guys, and I haven't watched too many Pacific games or CPL overall. I was surprised positively i mean they just outperformed it in for any aspects like tactically passion this anything yeah uh and the caps i mean you can only look, i feel bad sometimes with these kind of yeah you can only look bad in these type of games when you come from a higher league level but overall i mean it's just not acceptable if you no. get scored on four goals it's just poor i mean the, the thing is steve with bustos being out which, I mean, Pa had been cagey about in the build-up to it, but I think most folk knew he wasn't going to be out and he is going to be out for, for a few more weeks. I, I thought that was Pacific's best chance gone. Also, Matthew Baldissimo had picked up an injury, so, he, I mean, he was out as well. But, I mean, they were, they were fired up. They're always going to be fired up because of the fact that there's so many connections there and a lot of them maybe have a bit of a chip in the shoulder. Someone like Caden Chung maybe feeling... You know what? I could uh stayed at the White Caps and, and and made a big run of it. But I mean, what, what did you make of the game, the performance from both sides, and just the the overall result of it? Yeah, um, like Vancouver never looked comfortable. That's the one thing about them. They, it was mm. just a, and and it was probably a lot to do with the way Pacific was playing, uh, to not let them get comfortable. Um, but Pacific, I know Bustos being out and everything is like you know he's their kind of go-to guy, uh, but they still have a lot of talent up front and a lot of interchangeable parts where it's not always this, you know, the one per piece, it's the sum of the parts. And that's usually yeah. works out with all of them. Um, but overall, I think the biggest thing was a lot of players wanted to prove that, uh, you know, you know, basically what Vancouver missed out on and what they could have yep. had. Like, especially guys like, especially when Taron Campbell takes that penalty kick and snacks the ball away from whoever had it. Uh, that shows that how much he wanted to score. So yeah, uh, and overall, I'm I'm not overly surprised, but it's just the way it happened. If it was a loss, then that would be fine. But it's the way they lost the game. They were so totally outplayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell those kids won. I think 
Michael, you talked about this on Twitter. Like Jordan Haynes wanted it so bad. If you've seen oh. his post since the game, mm. like he uh, he wanted it was such a point for him to prove that he could outdo his you know the club that kind of ultimately rejected him um, was so huge. Also, Steve, I, I just want you to know in one of the conversations we, we got to have with Bustos, he he mentioned how I think it was this week or last week yeah. or whatever in his memories on on Facebook or social media or whatever came up the him winning the Umbrella Academy Residency oh. Player of the Year award, and, yeah. and how, he st- how, like he still remembered it fondly. Yeah, how it brought back such good memories of uh, of his time That's in the cool. academy and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I thought you'd want to know that. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Like talk, like what Steve said there about yeah, Bustos was out, but they've got all these other attacking pieces. If see if you looked at the benches. Like Pacific had the likes of Diaz that could come on and Blasco and Polizzi and Bassett and all these attacking things. You looked at the Whitecaps bench. So if Pacific had been trailing, they had guys they could have brought on that could have got them back into the game. You looked at that Whitecaps bench and you're like, well, Ricketts, but that's maybe it. It's like who else was going to come on and and turn that game around because they'd put all their eggs in their starting 11 basket. And it hadn't worked out well. They they had a little bit of fortune with the, the opening goal. And I mean, they could easily have been more than one goal down at half time, but they were still in the game. And at 3-2, I still thought they would have what it takes to level, get it to penalties, and then whatever happens. But talking of penalties, fun fact, as I tweeted out, Pa didn't practice penalties with Pacific on the, the Wednesday because... He said there was no need. He was fully confident his team would get the job done in the 90 minutes. And he was right. Whitecaps that we saw as well didn't practice penalties either, but that might have been in the the closed bit. But before we move on from the game and talk about the fallout from it, Whitecaps related, I, I just want to mention quickly, just about Pacific. The atmosphere was absolutely amazing i mean i know it came across well on the telly but zach oh, big time just on the us telly, yeah. sitting there i was in the press box in the main stand and because it's got metal flooring folk were like constantly banging their feet on it and it was just a crescendo of sound the whole night was a fantastic experience it was nice afterwards we, we caught up with a, a few of the guys callum irvin um matthew baldissimo just loads of them, Polizzi and Blasco and Campbell and Chung. So it was nice to reconnect with, with all these guys. I I hope that this win helps lead them to get bigger numbers into the stadium. Now, it didn't today. And I thought they might have got that bump coming on from, from the game, which I was a bit disappointed in. And they put in a great performance today. They won back to the, the top of the standings. So, I mean, anyone from the island that hasn't got out to many games, anybody that was at that game on Thursday, I, I find it hard that they won't want to go back just because of the way that that stadium was was absolutely bouncing. Yeah, what they're doing there is tremendous. I wish it was easier and cheaper to, to get over there. Uh, I'd, I'd be over so much. And I know, Steve, you've not been over yet. We have to try and get over. Got to get sure. you over to a game there. Definitely. It was, it was a special special atmosphere. I agree I agree with everything Michael said, and it was interesting to watch. I was in the uh, the big grandstand, the Canadian, the purple 
Maple Leaf the, stand, the new the, one, yeah, the new stand, um, which I've, I've been in there before, but I was lower down than I was last time. And yeah, you could hear, I was in a great spot. I could hear uh, TOP and Lakeside Boys, and I could hear the Southside and traveling uh, Whitecaps supporters. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a special occasion. Really, really nice, really nice TIFO from. Yeah. So you had a great view on the penalty then, because that baffled me. I'm like, still, I don't know how they got the first one, the first penalty. The first one, that was on the other side of the field. Oh, you were on the other side. Yeah. Oh, okay. You didn't think it was a penalty? Oh, that was a clear penalty. Jake just took him out. Jake took him. I actually, yeah, I, I mean, he took him out. I mean, I was just, I don't know, overall performance of the ref. I mean, just. Yeah. He didn't yeah. have a he didn't have a great game. It felt and he's a VMSL ref. I remember him from my days. Oh. I think he's in the VMSL ref. Yeah, I think so. Seriously. <laughs> Although, if, if you want to talk about refereeing, some of the refereeing in the CPL today is questionable. But let, let's not go down that road. Oh, actually, one thing I have to admit, you guys. Sorry, I have to say. So there was a first game I've watched, literally like on TV or their stream. Boy, oh, the commentator. Yeah, the oh. commentators. I I I. I I, I lost it almost. I literally, like, the atmosphere was so great, so I didn't want to turn the audio off. But it was Nigel boy. Reed, wasn't it? It was uh, Nigel Reed. Yeah. But, yeah, but, in the, just, but they, Nigel Reed's the, you know, the. Is he a better one out of the other ones? or? Yeah, he's actually, I feel like he's better. I, I don't like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I don't like the other guy at all. Okay, but yeah, anyways. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's all we'll talk about. For the game, because I know that's not why most of you are here and what listening is. You want to talk about the fallout from it. I'm going to just go round you all. So I just want a quick yes or no for now. Did you come away from watching that game thinking that MDS should be fired? A lot of people online and the online community certainly did. Obviously, so did Axel Schuster. So, I mean, did you did you think he should be fired? And did you think he would be fired? So let's start with Zach. No, I don't think he should have been fired. Uh, I'm not surprised that he was. And we'll talk about that maybe more yeah. later. Navid? Same as Zach. Um, I don't, I mean, literally same as Zach. Yeah. Steve? Yeah, I'm I'm not quick on firing people. So I was, uh, I, I thought that they might take the opportunity uh, to fire him, but I didn't think he should be fired over one game. Especially a game that yeah. is like popped out of nowhere and then the schedule messed up with their schedule completely. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's interesting because I also agree. And we hadn't talked about this beforehand, so I was just curious. So all on the same page, which is very interesting. Might not make for a big difference of opinion for the listeners, but I'm sure there will be some things we don't dis- we don't all agree on as we go through it. So, I mean, let's talk about the firing process. And I'll, I'll just queue up our advertising. This firing process is brought to you by Uber Eats. Delivering head coaches P45s. Or whatever you call it here in Canada. The red slip that you get when you're fired. Pink slips. Pink, Pink slip. slips, yeah. We call them P45s. Just don't know why I threw that in. But yeah, the firing process. So, according to, to Axel on his press conference that I felt was a little bit all over the place, full of a lot of contradictions, as we will talk about. It's 1am, he decided to order some burger on Uber Eats. So first thing about that, I think we need to speak to Axel about his eating regime, because you shouldn't be binge eating burgers at that time in the morning. Really not good for your metabolism. Well, we'll cover that next time we speak to him. So he stayed up until four o'clock, probably with the indigestion from the burgers. I get that as well when I when I snack late at night. 
And he, he had an idea. And then he thought, I'm going to go to bed and sleep on it. And if I feel the same when I wake up, I'm going to act on it. I'll speak to some others and we'll, we'll see what happens. Obviously, he was furious. And you could tell he was furious at the game. He was just along from me. And him and Jeff Mallet were watching the game. I, I mean, I, I just thought it, it was a, a bizarre decision. Let's start with Steve in this one. Should you be making decisions at that time of the morning and then acting impulsively after a, a game? Yeah, the thing is, when you want to sleep on it, usually you want to give it like six, seven, eight hours, not three, four. Yes. After ha after having a burger. So that, uh, like, whenever I have carbs at night, it's never a good sleep. Um, uh, so definitely uh, not the right uh, way to do it. But I don't know. Um, I, th I have a feeling... Uh, and we'll always speak on it. I have a feeling that this was already kind of high in his mind and he didn't need to sleep on it. He was just waiting for an opportunity Yeah. Uh, to me. And so uh, the opportunity at this point it was like huge. Like this was a disaster. Um, like, is it a fireball offense? Maybe in some likes, but I don't think this is the reason he was fired. Well, I, I agree with Steve um, because I, I think as many, as we've talked about before, there was no way that they were going to, nor did they want to, extend MDS's contract at the end of the of this season. And I'm the, not also sure that Mark wanted to stay either because he'd got himself yeah, a new agent. Totally. Uh. Totally. But also, on top of that, uh, they also knew that should the team do what they think it should or can do and make the playoffs, it puts them in an awkward public perception piece to not bring him back so i knew that my my perspective is they didn't want to bring him back and as steve said this loss created a significant opportunity another piece of that conversation not is it just the embarrassment uh not just is it the you know you know losing in a cup game losing to a, in the first competitive historic game against you know, a BC uh, rival, the, what are we calling the fairy side derby? That's what, That's pa, what pa wants to call it. I still like the Salish Sea derby. Okay, whatever. I'll go I pa. like alliteration. Fairy side makes no sense. Don't, don't talk back to Pa. Um, and so oh, he will. He, <laughs> I, I, as he said, when we said on Wednesday at training, I said to him, just make sure you don't hurt Ryan Gold. And he said, I'm going to take out all the Scots looking straight <laughs> at me. So I just backed off a little bit there. Scottish genocide? <laughs> <laughs> but um but no um the other the, aside from all those negatives of, of losing this match uh what this also does for the vancouver whitecaps is really hinders their budget plans and projections for the season they plan to advance in this competition beyond what they did this time beyond what they did the last time when they lost to cavalry and you know that the money people which are significant people at this football club are really, really not happy. And so... The, the well, also, it could have cost us a Champions League run next year and which, the money that that would bring. Which yep. is GAM and real money. And yes, yeah. and so you know that you know that this was a significant opportunity for them to um, to take the action that they decided to take. But I agree with you, Steve, too. Uh, not a great story. I, I know basically Axel was trying to tell the story of, of what he did. I don't think it was a great story. And Michael's right. No. The press conference was kind of all over the place and right. contradictory was, and, and kind of desperate and sad in certain spots. 
Hmm. It was a good thing it was in the summer because there were a lot of flip-flops going around. Hey, just keep those away from Russell Tiber and any bicycles that are, are yes. sitting nearby. But I mean, Naveed... Ooh, that's a 10-year-old joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, ultimately, the Canadian Championship has kind of cost the last three managers their, their right. jobs because Robbo... He didn't do well in the Canadian Championship. Was canned short, pretty much shortly after it. Right. Martin Rennie had a a trigger in his contract. The if they'd won the Canadian Championship, he's automatically going to be back in the next year. And then, of course, he didn't and was out. It it depends how much stock you put in it. Now, Mark beforehand said the Canadian Championship for the club was an obsession. Mm. I think though. The majority of the fan base, and we'll get into Mark yeah. and his kind of record and whether overall it was a good decision or not to, to look for someone new in a sec, but the Canadian Championship isn't held in as high esteem and as importance as the MLS and the playoffs and the MLS Cup. So folk are going to be looking in at this and thinking, I don't understand this timing. They're unbeaten in eight games They've got one loss in two months, I think it worked out at. For me, personally, I think the timing stinks. I don't think you get rid of a coach who's been through everything that he's been through with this team during the COVID era, who has got the team off the bottom of the standings to within touching distance of the playoff line that are eight games undefeated, are starting to turn a corner, have finally got the number 10, are playing... Not great football, but they're getting the results. I just think the timing stunk. I don't know. I don't know what you think. Um, obviously, I mean it's unfortunate. I mean, for for MDS, like from his position, the timing. But one quote that I, I won't forget from the press conference from Schuster's was that he said, "If we would have played LAFC that game ten times, we would yeah. have lost it eight times." And I mean, and that's. That's an unbelievable shot at the players. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, well, I don't think he's wrong about it, though. I mean, let's be honest here. The games before, I mean, these eight or nine unbeaten games, let's be honest. I don't think out of, like, there were some some of them they should have lost, to be honest. Like, well, yeah. They're, 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 we, we, we've yeah. talked about we rolled yeah. our luck. And last exactly. week we rolled our luck. Oh, Ryan yeah, Rodriguez, yeah. thankfully, didn't find his scoring boots until this yeah. weekend. Right. Because, yeah. LAFC but, could have been out of sight, but what it boils down to them, if it is, they yeah. didn't. And it's right, like the White Caps exactly. won. Exactly. No, 100%. And it's really unfortunate for Mark DeSantos. I mean, the timing, as you say, Michael stinks. But I have to agree with Zach. I mean, in terms of for the front office, it was a perfect opportunity to yeah. make this. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I have the conspiracy thought in my Good, head. Do we like you if- for this? So if they lost money out on uh, advancing in the Voyagers Cup and they're thinking that they might make the playoffs, does Mark DeSantos have a bonus in his contract for making the playoffs? Or oh, you probably. fire him, that way you save the money on the bonus and you could potentially still make the playoffs. I, that's the, that's a massive, like, that's way way out of, that's way out of left field or whatever, off the pitch or whatever you want to call it. But, but it is in line, Steve. If, if the bonus yeah. paid was in line with what they would have to pay him out right now. Yeah. Then again, yeah, it's also, these are people who are, I mean, the people who are making these decisions are, are money first people, which is not, uh, 
which is not a, a crazy statement. It's in line with everything they've ever done. But Axel was asked about that, and he's like, it had nothing to do with helping to sell the team and getting bums on seats. Clearly didn't work looking at the attendance tonight, which was well, seven and a half thousand. But, Mike, but Michael, come on. I mean, that's all. They, they, I, I know. They, they live about a lot of stuff, about selling the team, putting the team up, giving it to their kids. I mean, you can't trust them when they when they sit and make those kind of statements. Plus, if anyone has looked at the hidden fees in Uber Eats and stuff like that, then you know that they need the money for that. <laughs> And also, they're sponsored by DoorDash. Why is he using Uber Eats? It's like yeah, I was, I was wondering that. Of interest right <laughs> I, I'm sure the marketing people were not happy about that. Yeah. Like, as bad as that performance was on Thursday, Steve, I don't, I, simply for me, this was not the right time or place. Now, if they'd done this mid-July, yeah. after that 4-0 loss to RSL, eight games they were winless by, by that point, that would have made a lot of sense. That made so much sense to me that I wrote my article of candidates that could replace Mark DeSantis back in July, which is why it was up and published within 10 minutes of them announcing his sacking. Well, yeah, and lots of people were asking about that. Yeah, but wasn't, I had to sit in the car and amend bits. <laughs> it had been up one minute after if it hadn't been for that. Michael, didn't you say that one of the reasons why they, that didn't happen at the time was they weren't going to fire him while they were not... I haven't gotten back to BC yet. Yeah, they right. they they wanted to give him the chance to take the team home, but if, if they'd got rid of him, then I would have said, you know what, this team is going nowhere. They're on a run that's not doing anything. I think they need to get fresh blood in. That is genuinely how I felt back in July. I would have said that to to Mark's face that I t- now I did not feel that I. Th- thought he had this team going I thought he had turned a corner although Axel let's just read some more of his comments from the press conference he said he felt the team could have been on an even better run than their eight games unbeaten and yeah some of those draws could have been wins I I don't disagree with that but he said this project needs another push some new life things are not going in the right direction yet they were climbing the table and heading into the playoffs so that that was confusing he said things weren't developing fast enough so that's fair enough too many draws maybe not enough wins and he said it was a wake-up call for everyone but what kind of wake-up call is it when you can't really get rid of the players or bring new guys in just now because the transfer window is closed i guess it's maybe referring to are you wanting to be here in the future you need to get your fingers out and do better now mds which now I don't really remember seeing too many press releases that have a quote from the manager that's just been fired, but the Whitecaps one did. I also don't remember too many head coaches the day after appearing on local news to to give a little video as well. But MDS was on CTV News on Saturday night, and he said he he basically, he kind of expected that he was going to get the push after the, the loss to Pacific. Because he said that somewhere recently, the f- the front office, the owners, whoever, had lost trust in him, and he had lost trust with them. And he said that basically it's like a marriage, so this was a divorce. Now, to me, that's a very telling dig, the, the relationship between him, Axel, the owners, that they had broken down. When would that be, though? That's what I'm thinking. When is that time? When, when did it start? Where... 
I he said I, a while ago. I thought he said a while ago. Yeah, well, yeah, he said... Uh, I think he said a while. He might have said recently. I'd have to read my, my tweet again, but... So for me, the whole um, trusting back and forth, I have a feeling it's more to do with um, the trusting of um, uh, Nicholas Overhaul. Nick Overhaul or Nick... I don't know which Nick one. Nick Overhaul. Nick Overhaul. So um, he is an analytics guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and analytics guys have certain players they want on the pitch. And if the uh, the coach has trust with another players, um, then that will go against what they feel is the right. Now, uh, a couple of players that MDS has been starting recently that probably goes against analytics, I'm assuming, is Andy Rose mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Jake Nowitzki. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, those players are probably, they don't fit to what uh, what the ownership uh, or man- I keep saying ownership management wants on the pitch, but those are the things that I see that are the biggest factors that uh, when it comes to the communication is that most likely it's not really ownership. I think it's more management and analytics is always if your coach isn't analytical, then um, you're always going to be going because management has. Uh, you guys have, have you guys seen the movie Moneyball? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I've seen no, the, actually. So remember. Uh, oh, Moneyball. Remember halfway through the halfway through the year, he traded a whole bunch of players that the manager wanted mm-hmm. uh, in the starting lineup. He just got rid of them, traded them for nothing, basically. So it's that kind of thing that where a, a coach who doesn't have the same views as the, what an analytics management have uh, will, uh, you know, it'll cost him his job eventually. Yeah, but that would mean that that Schuster really weighs in the numbers, and I mean Lee well, really. But he, but he does. If you listen yeah. to the press conference, yeah, especially the yeah, because he, he started comment. talking about like goals against and yeah, that's All even in the cornerstones was, that he talks yeah. about. Yeah. It's like they want to allow one goal against in a game and stuff like that. And and, and it's the whole thing about expected goals against and expected right. goals scored. And yeah, he, he had he's never mentioned those things, but the eight out of ten that told me that's like an analytics thing that they probably did some models and eight out of ten times they wouldn't win that game. But yeah. they were able to win it. That, that's that's probably true, and I think where the club are wanting to go, I I don't know, I I I don't think MDS would have been back next year, like like Zach said, and I don't think he may have been the right person to to carry things on next year with where the club want to go. Let's just finish this part off by looking at the MDS era. I'll I'll go around each of you. We'll start with Zach. How will you look back? at the MDS era at the White Caps, because I don't think history will probably look back too favorably on it. No, I'm, Naveed can break down the stats or talk about yeah, 20, I mean, 22 wins in 88 games or whatever. Here's the thing. The way I view this, um, Mark DeSantos's time with the Vancouver Whitecaps, or Mark, Mark DeSantos's time is similar to me to Carl Robinson in the sense that both of them knew the limitations that they would have to work under coming to Vancouver. And they both came, they they both have told me this, they both came because essentially, if you can go to Vancouver and you can achieve anything, you look good as a coach because everyone knows you're dealing with limited resources. Mm, that's why, that's why he came, or that's one of the, th- that's one of the reasons why he came and it didn't work out for him. And so I'm a little bit concerned about what he's going to have to do next to kind of rebuild yeah. or, or 
start over again. But that, I we'll, think we'll, we'll look at that in part three. So we won't right, get sorry, too much into sorry. that. For me, when I look back on his time, it, it's like he took a risk. He took a risk and he lost. And I've maybe said this before on the show, Michael, but you know, I've talked about this before. When he came here, the last time he came to Vancouver as an assistant coach of LAFC, yeah. I said, Hey, I hope you get a chance in MLS. And I, and I said to him, but you'd never come here. Right. And he said, Oh, you never know. And I was like, Mark, why would you come here? You know, he's like, well, we'll you never know what's going to happen. And I, I don't, I think, I, I mean, publicly, I think he'd say, no, he learned a lot and had a lot of positive things and did things he's proud of. But I think there's probably at least a tinge of regret of taking the risk and taking the gamble that he did. The lure of being a head coach in MLS in Canada was massive for him. Yeah, but the wages aren't great either. Hmm. Yeah, and but I don't, I don't, I personally don't think this has any bear, bad bearing on him. I think the, that he he's probably was even less supported by management initially uh, when he uh, than Robinson. No, and, he had uh, Steve. He had no. I, funds no, I'm money. Spent a he lot spent more money than Robinson. No, no, no. I'm I talking mean, about initially the initial first season. He barely got anything going. Like it was basically uh-huh. just rags and tags. Um, like there was very little uh, that first year. And then, and then, then you, and then you take into account the COVID stuff and not right. being able to play at home. That, that I think a lot of um, future teams will have a, you know, a more understanding on what he went through. But See, at the end of the day, he still brought all these guys in. Yeah, I mean, he is responsible for all the guys he well, brought in. Well, I don't, and, I don't, I don't think. Well, I don't think we'll never know how much he had to before Axel came in, though. Michael, yeah, one, he had sole responsibility for it. Michael, I know, I, but I, there, there was very limited options at that time. Like they were bringing in scraps because they didn't have time to bring. Remember that first year? They basically he had a month to yeah. put a team together. Yeah, he had, to, like put just, it, he had yeah. to put it together quickly. But And whatever it was whatever was left on the trash heap, basically. It was just like leftovers, yeah. essentially. Uh, I mean, Michael, you might want to not want to take the time to talk about this now, but it, this is a significant part of it because most people will say, yes, the Whitecaps gave him tons of opportunity because they gave him, what is it, 20 million or 20 million uh-huh. plus in, in transfer fees. But I think that that is uh, too limiting of a view because I think, yes, he probably did have more access to transfer funds than Carl Robinson did without doing all the math of who Rob Robo uh-huh. brought in. Yeah. But I still think he was extremely limited in how they use the MLS mechanisms to class yeah. your players and to bring in better players. I think he brought in lots of players that they yeah. paid for, but they weren't hot, like none of them, like barely any of them, like one or two or three have been TAM or above players. Maybe, also, maybe four or five. A lot of them have been from out with MLS. And that was something I spoke to him about. Yeah. And we didn't include it in the end in the, the interview that I aired. But basically, I said, how come these other teams get all the MLS transfers done in the league? And he basically just said, look, that's something I don't want to talk about just now. But he said, let's go for a beer and I'll talk to you about that. So that's definitely one of the discussions I am looking forward to having in the, the coming weeks with Mark, because there's a few things he wanted to talk yeah. to me over a beer about. So that's going to be uh, interesting. And, and the thing is, is the one thing I want to mention is that when, when they started spending money, that's when Axel was here. Like I, the serious money. Oh like, yeah. They would spend a, like a little bit here and there, but uh-huh. like the Lucas Cavallini, was he the right fit 
for what he what um, um, Martin uh, Mark DeSantos wanted to do. Was he the uh, the proper striker that he wanted, considering the system they were using? So there were a lot of players there that might not have fit what he wanted to do, but they put it in there. So really, yeah. this is a, a story about like Axel being the guy coming in after the coach was already hired, and eventually he's he's gonna want his own coach. Yeah. No at the what. end of the day, though, I mean, looking back at the three years, I mean, considering COVID and everything, I totally understand. It's been challenging for him, and it's not like he really had a fair shot. Um, to showcase his abilities to manage the team properly without the 10 and all that stuff. Um, but still, I can't think of one performance where I was like, okay, that was great. I literally can't think of a game within the last three years where I was, okay, this is awesome. So this is like, I literally can't think of a game. It didn't, it's it didn't, been, it wasn't never complete the games. Complete game, yeah. Literally, yeah. like, I can't think of one You had one good game. halves, but trying to think of a complete game. I, yeah. I, I mean, his record in MLS was 22 wins, 18 defeats, sorry, 18 draws and 37 defeats. There's also two embarrassing Canadian championship yeah. losses. That The playoffs weren't made. Other negatives, the, it was like, for me, there was a string of poor signings, especially in year one. You really have to question what the scouting network was at the club. Now, that did get overhauled, I'm, and no yeah. pun intended with Nick Overhill, but well, they've yeah. got, he's now set the club up by putting things in place that's going to make that better. Right. But the, some of the guys he brought in, Jasser Kamiri, You've got to ask questions. They were Ardaiz. not MLS quality. Yeah, Ardaiz. Yeah, but the thing is, that's what I'm talking about, that they probably had to rely on other people giving them information. I don't think there was a scouting network. At there wasn't, time. but Robo dealt with it. I mean, he dealt it his way. Yeah, yeah I mean, but he yeah, he probably had a better network set up already. That's we the had thing, one, network one network. Yeah. Like to go but, to a lot. but still, I mean, it worked out a bit better for him. than Well, yeah, it did. Yeah. But that, Mark put together a team that didn't. It didn't feel like it had an identity. It yeah. didn't feel like it had a system. He wanted them to play high press. Steve, when he first arrived and we spoke to him on his first day, he was like showing us on the table how he wanted the team to play. He was showing I videos, remember that. I remember and that, yeah. it was, it was so promising. And in each of his three seasons, he has not delivered that yeah. kind of style of football. And it's either because he brought in players that just couldn't do it, or they just weren't good enough to do what he wanted. But the defense was poor. It's been a bit better, but it's still poor. There's been some really baffling team selections o over the years. I mean, this season in particular, so many games, even the one at BC Place where you have two goalkeepers on the bench. Now, that could be sending a message to, to others in the team. He spoke a lot about players not performing at training, so he kind of set out that stall as well. So, I mean, there were a lot of negatives from his time here. But there were some positives. He was starting yeah. to turn things around. Now that he'd finally got a number 10, I mean, he, he said to me a couple of weeks ago, we had it on the show, he said that he finally feels, after all this time, that he's got the team that he wanted. Now, I, I, I'm critical of how he was in year one because I, I think that was a shambles and he just didn't t take to things well. Maybe it was because he didn't have a lot to pick from, but... 
Maybe it's because the club don't like doing transfers within the league. Some of them haven't worked out to the best. But with everything he went through and with COVID and not having the home games, I I think he was starting to turn it around. But that said, I'm not sure he was the man to to take them forward. So if they'd got rid of him in July, I'd have said, no, that was fair enough. If they parted ways at the end of the season... I'd have thought that was fair enough. I just felt you had to give him... If you'd got back home, you've got to give him to the end of the season. You can't do this now. There's been injuries as well. He's been unfortunate. He's had no DPs, really, like proper MLS DPs this season until Gold came in. Ali Adnan, you could maybe say, was he a proper DP or not? But he didn't have him, so then you have Mm. to let him go. Godoy has been like just so bad with injuries. Would he have helped turn things around a bit? Would he have stopped some of those games that ended as draws? Cava's injury, being away with, with Canada, everything like that. A couple of questions just to end this. First one on Mark. We'll start with Navid. Was this job too big for him? Or was he just not good enough for the job? I think it's two. I would go with, I don't think, I think, uh, I mean, he knew the risks, as Zach said, but he he lost at the end of the day. That's what I think. Steve? Yeah, I think, I think he would have been good enough, but at the, I, I don't, I, I still don't feel like he got the support he should have gotten at the beginning, especially when they were turning it around. Uh, there was just not enough time. And I, you guys can remember that they just kept delaying. Oh, we'll make a big deal next transfer window. It was yeah. next transfer Boy, window. Yeah. How many times are the, now? I guarantee you, if it's a, a coach like Marcus Santos, he wants to get the right players in as soon as possible. Yeah, he's not the one delaying it from one transfer and into another. So I, I feel he was probably good enough. Uh, what was the first option you said before? Was the job just too big for him? Like I, I personally feel that he underestimated what task what he is. was coming into here. Yeah, I think so too. I think like we, we talked about before, um, uh, like years ago, when when they made those changes, all it was basically a brand new, it was like almost like an expansion team. And they, without having the benefit of an expansion draft, where you could bring in some MLS yep. veterans and stuff like that. So Because uh, he, he had to and, blow the team up because yep. of how that previous season ended and all the infighting. And, well, well, you, you usually don't he, see that a lot on all these MLS teams. He, when coaches, I mean, that was... I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah was, no, he didn't He didn't have to blow up the team. The team was already blown. Yeah, that's and true. He was, just, he was just going through the rubble to find pieces. Yeah. And, I mean, what, what, what do you think, Zach? Did he... Did he not really appreciate the size of job that he was coming to, or was he just not up for the job in hand? No, I I think he was up uh, up for it. I think he knew. I think he knew it. Uh, I've heard I've, I've heard and read some debate on whether or not some of those things you guys talked about, you know, the scouting network and all that, was that really him? And I do really think he played a, a very significant role in making those things happen. Yeah. Uh, not to say that Schuster and Panis, you know, did nothing on those things, but um, I, I think he is a key factor in them. Uh, so yeah, I don't think I don't think it was too big for him. I think I think the limitations and um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I want to talk about this a lot, and I know you won't want to, Michael, and we've talked about it before, and maybe we can talk about it another time. But that what Steve's talking about, about the situation he came into, mm-hmm. you have to talk about how that situation became and who's responsible for it. Because the, the, the bottom line, and I'll, I'll try and only say this once, Michael, okay. on this podcast. Because it's going to be a long show as it is, so but, don't but go the, over old history. But I know, but the bottom line is, Vancouver's had now, what, four, five, six, whatever, coaches, seven, eight, nine, in terms, yep. whatever. Yeah, like, include all In those. MLS? No. And the people who have not changed are the people who need to need to be changed, and, yeah. and they're the ones who set, they're the ones who, who they're the ones responsible for the environment that Mark DeSantis walked into and made right. things difficult for him, Steve, as you mentioned at the beginning, because the cupboards were bare because of their approach before to go a cheaper route to deal with one agent or one agency or whatever, mm-hmm. and I, and I'm really frustrated of continuing to read this narrative online that is, in my opinion, false. That that uh, setup was, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A fraudulent or- Corrupted or like something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, there, yeah. There are people online who have, yeah. who have said, because we've seen problems with this kind of scenario before, something must be wrong with this now. And so they didn't. They don't understand that it's commonplace in. I can't speak for other sports, but commonplace in the world of football, and right. even commonplace in MLS. And yet, because they've heard of experiences of it being dodgy other places, they called that situation mm-hmm. dodgy. But even if it was dodgy, I don't think it was because I've asked people involved, mm-hmm. and they've told me it wasn't, and I trust them. But even if it wasn't dodgy, that system was set up by the executives of the Whitecaps. They chose to go that route, partially, I think, because of finances, partially because it was path of least resistant. But, but, but are those... we talking about like Robo using the one agency? Is yes. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. And that's, David, what, that's David. what left the cupboards, yeah. the cupboards bare, as DeSantis would say when he showed up, because yeah. they just chose to part ways from that. And all those players left because no. they, they were leaving their, their people, were, their people were leaving, or they felt their people were disrespected and they didn't want to be a part of the, the club anymore. Yeah. But so it, you can't talk about like Steve, I agree with you. It was difficult for him at the beginning, but that wasn't his fault. And it wasn't the fault of the previous coach. It was the fault of the people who set things up to to function that way. Yeah, That's why I say like he didn't show, he didn't blow up the team. He he came blow. Yeah. And another point I wanted to say actually before this, I mean, it makes me sick looking back and I'll never forget this. The interview of Jeff Mallet when they presented Mark DeSantos and talking about, oh, how we want to get to a better, like, this is not good enough. We want to get better and better and better. And I, when I zoom out and look at the big picture, where are we at right now? Really? Like the last yeah, three years? We, we, apart from are having we, an actual yeah. number 10 that looks like a proper difference maker, right. in the last three years, that's about the only big positive and possibly right. that they've got a better structure well, for scouting. Was that this little... Yeah, was that the same time where they talked about being getting back to the top third of spending as well? Yeah, um, I didn't admit, I think that was at the Southsiders meeting there, or the fans meeting that they had that they talked about that. The thing is, but, the thing is, they, this this ownership group wants just to establish buffer zones, and they were able to keep the Mark DeSantos buffer going for a long time because of external circumstances like COVID and stuff like that, and just keep. Uh, it, delaying that transfer window and stuff like that. Oh, he didn't have a good transfer window or we weren't able to get the number 10 we wanted. So we'll just give him a little bit more time. It's just a matter of, and now they have the axle buffer zone too. So there's, 
You have well, a lot. Yeah, you also have the fact, like, Axel's talked several times about we wanted to wait for this number 10, and we did, and now we, it was worth it because we've got the right one. Because Ryan Gold has started so well, it plays into the, oh, the, that was the right thing to do. To, to wait all these this time till we got Ryan Gold. Three years. There, there was other <laughs> other players, as much as I love Ryan, there was yeah. other players I'm sure you could have got in in that window that would have done just as good a job. Well, but the, the thing was, the four and a half years, over four and a half years between Pedro Morales and Ryan Gold at Vancouver, the reason it took so long wasn't because they were looking that whole time. It was because they finally, the owners realized if they don't do something... Right. Things are going to get even worse than they already are, and they're not in a good place. Well, yeah, because with the pyramid system that I hope to set up, they could end up in the VMSL. But <laughs> let's just end this part with one final question. And I wanted to ask this on the on Axel's conference call on Friday, but I, I listened to it in the car, but I couldn't ask anything because... I didn't know when I was going to be able to pull over or whatever, so I didn't put my name in the queue. No one asked it. I did ask Axel this when I spoke to him, I think, back in June. How much blame does Axel Schuster have to shoulder for where the team is just now and how they're playing and all these things that aren't going right? Because ultimately, he's the guy that is overseeing all these signings and the additions and if Mark's getting the blame for not motivating the players the right way or not getting them to play the, the right way or it's not the kind of players, Axel's been responsible for bringing a lot of these in. But when I spoke to him a few weeks ago, I'd asked him, did he feel he'd given MDS the tools to succeed and to make this team a playoff team, even if they hadn't got the number 10? And he categorically said yes. And we talked about it, we disputed it on the show, so, quickly to finish this part off, we'll start with Steve. Does Axel have to shoulder a lot of blame here as well? And should his work be under scrutiny right now? Well, he's the next guy that's going to be under scrutiny now. Yeah. Um, because he only has so many opportunities to hire a coach or have a coach in front of him mm. before everything gets sort of... Like, essentially, he the delay in getting the proper players, that was the big issue. Like, they... And they, the problem is he... At, at no point did he seem to have initially a plan to get it because you you if you're bringing spending all that money on a striker you should be bringing a number 10 in around the same time and it's not even you don't have to get the best number 10 just get somebody that fits the mode model of a number someone 10. that can and they have, feed your striker yeah and they have never been they've even been able to sign a lesser known player to play number 10 like a you know maybe mm-hmm. a, a one level lower than a ryan gold would be um, so they weren't they weren't ever able to bring somebody that fits the profile that could help support when you spend all that money on a striker. So it's just a lot of um, inability to like put a team together right now. They have I think they've finally done it, but it was I think it's like they're about three transfer windows behind of where they should be. Yep, that's that's a fair shout. I mean, Navid, do you think Axel should be under scrutiny just now as well? A little bit. I mean, to be fair, last year, I mean, it wasn't even a proper season. So I don't think you no. can really and I, judge. I, I do. Yeah. I, like, it is hard to get players to relocate yeah, sure. when they don't yeah. know if they're going to be in Vancouver, if exactly. their wives can do. So, I mean, that I do get. Oh, right. he's he, just like Mark, Mark DeSantos. He's had a lot of obstacles in his way, too. So right. I don't yeah. 100% right. blame him either. No, I mean, but I mean, like Steve said, I mean, he's the next one and 
-hmm. if i don't think you can't get this one the next head coach wrong because then everyone is going to be on him that's for sure yeah because that is his his man name zach yeah and he's already said that they need to get a head coach that fits that fits the team not a head coach who will change the team to what he wants which is kind of telling um yeah it does it does feel that Axel and the club want to go in a certain direction, especially focusing yeah. on the young guys. But Mark, as I think most head oh, coaches just, would do, yeah. it's like, I want to put a team on the pitch that's going to win. And if that means not playing the young guys, then so be it. The problem yeah, is then if you don't win and you're not playing the young guys, you are in a difficult position then. That's, that's where I think Mark DeSantos has the thing about mentality of he trusts a certain number of players. He trusts players. If you don't have his trust, he's not going to put you on the pitch. That's why we well, haven't seen guys like season. Theo. Yeah. Yeah, it's Theo like Bear and those kind of players. It's core group of players that he used yeah. week in, week out. Yeah, I, I agree with everyone, Michael, that Axel is next in line. I wonder, uh, I assume that he's been there long enough. He understand the, understands the dynamics. He understands who, who is bulletproof. Uh, because they've lasted so long or they have certain connections. Um, and he he surely has to understand that, yeah, he's the next in the line of fire if the, the whether, it's, whether it's the head coach or, I mean, it, I don't think they will, but if even like they didn't make the playoffs this year, like who they're going to hang it on? Vanny Sartini? I don't think so. They're going to hang it no, hang on they've him. Already, they'll hang it on Mark DeSantos. That's yeah, why. For, it, for the start of the no season. Matter. So, yeah. I mean, that's how it will be. That's that's it will be like that. That's what they're going to hang it on yeah. at this point. Oh, yeah, sorry, I guess I guess you're right. Uh, uh, Axel is next year's scapegoat. Yes, depending on how things go, but hopefully it won't come to that. The last thing I'll say in this part is just a, a couple of final things. Sadly, I didn't get to speak to Mark after that that game on Thursday night because the CSA completely ballsed up the post game press conference for everyone that was at the game. None of us were admitted to it, so we didn't get to, to speak to Mark. Zach and me had a chance to speak to him as he was leaving the stadium, but we were chatting to somebody else. And he was like giving out autographs. He was giving out autographs and stuff. And I, I really, I, I, if we'd known what was going to happen, I really wish that we had had that chat. We did have a chance to chat to him on Wednesday and we chatted for maybe 10 minutes or so and then we left again. If I'd known it was going to be the last chance I was going to sit and chat to him as White Cat's boss, We'd have hung about a bit more and chatted about a few more things, but but was we'll any talk... of the things was any of the things he was autographing pink? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, just quickly sign this. Oh, what is this, Rachel? But the, well, we'll talk a little bit about the future in part three, and that's the future for the DeSantis brothers as well as the future for the next head coach of the Whitecaps. That was the past covered. We're going to talk about the present next, and we're going to be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I think I should make out with other people. This isn't a personal attack. I'm just trying to It's all about me. It's not about you at all. Please don't make everything about me. Sorry for all the strife I caused you. Hope you can look past my flaws. But I think, I think 
that we should. I think I should make out with other people. This is kind of a personal attack. Yeah, I'd say so. I'm just trying to live my youth. And that doesn't involve making out with you. I'm sorry. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the final song. It's always that sad time of the month. It's the final song from our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for August from Sacramento, California, Destroy Boys. And that was their first ever song that they released in October 2015. I, I just thought it was a kind of fitting song. I like to try and find songs at time of the theme of the show. So this one was very apt. It was called, I Think I Should Make Out With Other People. I'm not sure if that was the message that Axel gave to, to Mark and Phil when they, they got rid of them on Friday, but that is basically what the Whitecaps are doing. And the guy that the Whitecaps are making out with just now is Vanny Sartini. He is the interim head coach in charge of the team. Ricardo Clark is his assistant. Now, I wish Vanny all the very best. He is a lovely guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. We'll obviously do our our chats with him in in the coming weeks, uh, as we did with Mark. And strangely... I didn't think a couple of weeks ago when I was calling the FC Tigers Whitecaps under-23 game with Vanny on the sidelines for the under-23s that just a few weeks later he would then be on the sidelines of the MLS team, but that is how it has worked out. And he's a great guy. Director of methodology was where he was moved to at the the end of last season with a, a task to kind of oversee the youth thing try and get this MLS2 reserve team set up that will be taking the pitch next year. Um, He's a guy that's got a UEFA Pro licence. But aside from being an assistant to Mark and a little bit of assistant in Italy, he's been a coach educator. He has limited coaching experience. I don't think he has what they're looking for to lead the team long-term in MLS, but I guess you you never know. If, if he gets them to the playoffs, if they're winning every week, could he be the guy, do you think, that they end up giving the job to? We'll, we'll look at other candidates in the next part, but do you think Vanny has a shot, or is he just interim, interim? I think he's just interim at this point. I think he's the guy that's just going to get everything going, maybe help with connecting the U23s to this team, uh, the, some of the younger players. Um, he is a developer, so it's probably a very similar uh, type of coach that they're looking for, but they probably want somebody with more experience at this point. Yeah, and, and a proven track record as well, Navid. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, actually. This timing kind of reminds me on... Remember when Ziggy... Who was it? Who got let go that Brian Schmetz? Yeah, Brian Schmetz that, came it, Exactly. And yeah. he got Lodero right after, and now it's kind of, I mean, no one would expect Brian Schmetzer to be, I mean, to but be there. Schmetzer that. has had experience as a head coach. Before. Yeah, oh, yeah, he no. was, yeah, he was with the USL team. Yeah, Naveen, yeah. Schmetzer was like, a, yeah, the big Yeah, coach USL, team. okay. Um, he became a yeah. he became assistant coach in MLS. 
Um, I've heard a lot of positive things about Vanny Sertini in terms of, I mean, education and all. Like, he knows his stuff, that's for sure. And, I mean, he's been an educator and been, co- like, educating all these MLS pro coaching courses and whatnot. Yeah. So, I mean, he's definitely, he knows what he's doing. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, in the long run, I can't see it. But you never know in this game, man. I mean, as Michael said, what if he actually pulls, I mean, you saw today, I mean, again, we get to it later, but... What if he gets into a run and make, puts him in the yeah. playoffs? He gets, you say, never know. Say they get to the MLS Cup. Say they win the MLS Cup. It's like, how do you then turn around and say, oh, yeah, we're, we're going in a different no, no. direction. It, it'd, have to, it'd have to be something massive for them to keep him. He's, he's right, more, right. I, I would actually uh, compare him to uh, like a Craig Dalrymple type, mm. uh, but with more experience. With yeah. more experience and better. I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah. when I compare <laughs> somebody, I'm talking about the positions. Zach. Right. You right, don't have right. to start shaking your head. I'm saying the position is similar, but personality wise, they're very different. Yeah. So, Steve, what do you mean? Like the position they held beforehand or what? Yeah. The, the, yeah, the type of, the, the type of coach they are. Yeah. 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 The type of coach they are. Not the, not the, like, he, like probably for the rest of his career. This is what Vandy Sartini is going to be known for and probably in the position of. And it's probably something he would rather do too than be the head coach of a team. Yeah, could be. Yeah. I mean, it, he was in a, a strange position because Mark brought him to the club. that He's friends right. with Mark and Phil. And then he's like, we want you to take over the team at really short notice whilst he's still doing stuff with the, with the U23s. And I asked him after the game tonight just about the emotions that he'd been through. And I mean, it must have been a lot for him. Uh, I I am delighted for him because he's such a such a lovely guy, yeah. and as fans probably don't know him and know his personality that much yet. But as you get to to know him, you'll you'll find out what a wonderful person he is, and just very unique outlooks on life and in general. So hopefully we can we can get a bit of a sit down chat with him and and do do some of the, the more getting to know you things that that we have done over the years. He the is busy now, of course. Uh, he he has been on the radio like with TSN during the oh yeah season. yeah uh, so he has done interviews so some people have probably heard him in the past and he has been very charismatic when he is in those interviews as well so he's a very good guy to talk to I was meant to speak to him a couple of weeks ago him and Dazzle we had lined up a chat we're going to speak about the U23s and the the U19s and the path forward and stuff for that but because things were so busy I pushed it back for a couple of weeks so not sure if that chat will be happening. In the foreseeable future, but but we'll see. But ultimately, what Ivani has been tasked with and what Axel said on Friday is playoffs are still the aim. That is where the, the club had set their stall out at the start of the season. They want to make the playoffs. If they get there, then they'll renew what the what the new expectations are for the season. I, I asked in the last part how much blame do you put on Axel for stuff? We talked about blame put on Mark possibly as well. I mean, Zach, how much blame do you put on the players? How much do they have to shoulder for performances this season, but especially that Pacific performance? Because I've said this countless times, a coach can only do so much. Mark put his best team out on that pitch on Thursday night, and they were terrible. Now, is that because he's not motivating them? I don't know about the motivation side. I I think the, the one place where you can critique uh mds is on some of his tactical approach and some of i think his instruction to players 
we don't know all those details. <laughs> we can guess, we can try and interpret the stats, all that kind of stuff, or, you know, try and interpret what we're seeing with our eyes. He was, he's a very defensive minded coach though. Yeah. Which he's always been. That's, yeah. That's, well, and I mean, it's proved successful, but not at this level and well, not when you're coming up against the quality of opposition. Except for that was one of the things that uh, Axel, I believe pointed out with yes. right. <laughs> not, not good enough, but, um, so yeah, I mean, the the players do need to own it. Uh, I mean, they, that loss. I mean, when you listen to the supporters of, of the Whitecaps, they were embarrassed by how their team performed and yeah. performed. And I think that's that speaks volumes. Um, also, I, I should say at this point, I meant to say this in the first part. I, I, Pacific deserve all the credit. And Oof. Pamidou Ka as well. So it's not just the fact that the Whitecaps didn't turn up and play terribly. Pacific didn't yeah. let them play well. Oh, yeah. so I, that's I, I, I should I say that as well. No, we, we mentioned that in the first part where we said that uh, while the Whitecaps never looked comfortable and it was the Pacific that made them uncomfortable, their play. Um, so, yeah, I totally understand that. But, uh, for me, the, um, the players, I, I feel, hold a lot of the blame because if they... If if Mark DeSantos is putting them a clear plan to do on the and they don't perform that, then the, it it does definitely fall on them, um, and to follow that because right from the beginning we talked about it before his first time he talked to the media he had a specific he lined up a whole bunch of stuff that he wanted to do on the pitch, um, uh, from in, from the midfield the middle nine uh, the middle third sorry to the back third. He had it all planned out, like how we want. Oh yeah, he showed us little triangles that they wanted to do, and it's like again, did he bring in players that could play that though, or did he bring in players that he thought he could get to do that, but hadn't been used to doing that? Yeah, and it's it's just recruitment again. Again, yeah, and it's just a matter of were these his first choices, or did he have to settle for third, fourth, fifth choices? That's yeah, that as well. Um. And and the thing is, is about him is like defending wise, what was the area that he that the, the Whitecaps weren't able to develop the whole time? It was the midfield, and um, when when he talked about defending, um, and the system that he wants to play, he wants to do most of his defensive work in that middle third. Yeah, probably more than 70 percent he wants de- defending there, so it doesn't even get to the uh, box or whatever where the people uh, defenders have to like do something to clear the ball. So. For me, th- those are the major issues, and I-, I feel like the players never really turned it on at any point. They would come off at halftime, which tells you that maybe it was just they weren't good at preparing the players, or maybe they over-prepared the players, mm. but at halftime, they were able to make adjustments, and they always came in the second half with better uh, setup. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know if that's the small things the that Axel kept talking about, but... yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, Naveed, so much of what went wrong in games this season was down to individual errors. And how much can right. a coach shape that, really? Because it's like he doesn't expect somebody to kick a ball off Baldy's face and it go into the back of the net or, or whatever. So, I mean, there's only so I mean, much a coach can do. Even I feel the, the players do need to shoulder a lot of the blame. 100%. And the whole first half debacle throughout oh. the season... I mean, that's also, I don't know if a coach can, I mean, what can a coach say? I mean, all you can say is guys. then it was different tonight, but then was that just because they were fired up because what had happened? I I guess the next game will be the telling one in that regard. Right. I mean, everyone was baffled about those first half debacles and debacles is the best word for it. 
Yeah. I, I don't but, know how our team can comes... be so different in two halves. Yeah, I mean, you would, I mean, personally, just based on my experiences, I mean, that's, it's more from a player's point. I mean, once you cross the white line, you have to be switched on. I mean, that's yeah. just as simple as it is. And they certainly the, weren't on Thursday. Yeah, I don't know they, what yeah. it was, but yeah. yeah. They, we, we spoke about Axel being quite contradictory in his press conference. I, I, I don't think it was a great one, just like Jeff Mallett's wasn't great when Mark Paness went. Axel's outlasted both the Marks. Who, who'd have had money in that? Probably me. Um, he did say we need to to work on the small things. Can Vanny fix that? We maybe got a glimpse of that tonight. And then he went on, as we kind of touched on, about allowing shots on target and the good job of goalkeepers and the defence, but then said the defence wasn't great. We talked about the 8 out of 10 games against LA, but they did get the results, so I don't know how you can look at that. And he, he, he wondered whether, or he was asked whether, it was going to be a distraction or a wake-up call for the team. And he wanted it to be a wake-up call. How would it affect the players? Now, we'd heard that there were some players that weren't a fan of Mark and weren't happy with the direction that the team was going. But then there's other players like Max Cripeau that's known him since he was like 13. He's known him for over 10 years, both the DeSantis brothers. Javain Brown clearly had a good relationship with Mark and I think he would have been somebody that would have taken things quite hard. And I'm sure there's other players as well. Training on Saturday, I wasn't at it, but by all accounts, it was very, very subdued, which is good. You don't want to really see the players laughing and joking, but you'd maybe want to see a little bit of intensity. So I, I um, was... He, Andy Rose was basically family for him. Yeah. How about Rusty? That's a key one, obviously. Well, Give yeah. Who, who knows with Rusty? But, yeah. yeah. I mean, tonight's game against RSL, we'll just finish off this part by, by looking quickly at that. We're not going to do our usual deep dive in, into the game. Axel talked about they needed changes. Could they get a wake-up call? Um, Vanny spoke at, at the presser and said he wouldn't be making many changes. That was the biggest. That was the that was the wildest part there, where yeah. he says we uh, Axel says we need to make this decision now because we need to make the changes because of the things we see on the pitch. And then Vanny speaks and says, "Yeah, we're not going to make that many changes. They've been on a pretty good form right now, yeah. so we'll, let's just keep it going the way it is, and then we'll see it as the season goes." It was. Oh, I, I agree with you, and it was awkwardly contradictory, but. I think it was also partly because Vanny knew he had no time. So yes. he wasn't going to... He can't really... In oh, one day or two days, you can't really stamp a lot of your... No, no, I understand it, but there's still... No, I agree with Steve, yeah. I, the, I was in, in the car going, what? <laughs> but if he if he had said that, I, I can't make any changes because there's not enough time before the next game, that's fine. But he said, yeah. I can't make any changes because they've actually been on a good run. Right. So, no, that, but he's being honest, so I guess. Yeah. I mean, what, what yeah are you why, why would you change a team that's in being an eight that too much? Right. I mean, I he, actually, he, I actually, re I reminded that part to see if Axel looked over at him when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I, from reading between the lines, and it's, you cannot, you can take what you want by, by doing that always. But I did get the impression that there was maybe some players in the squad that Axel wanted in the team. And they weren't getting in the team for whatever reason. And Mark would maybe say it's how they've been playing at training or the fact that they weren't fully fit. 
And it was interesting tonight. I mean, obviously Jake was injured and he was all iced up and wasn't able to, to do stuff at training. So they were short on, on fullbacks. But Bruno Gaspar finally got back into the lineup tonight as a starter. And like they had high hopes for him. So was he one of the guys that Axel wanted in the team? Florian yeah, Jungworth as well. It's like you've made that play for him. You want him in the team, surely. Amazing yeah. how Gaspar's recovery just coincided with the firing. Hmm. Uh, was finally able to get healthy there, and Jungworth was ready to go. Um, yeah, it's that's the, the to me that's the most telling part that they the management wanted certain players on the pitch, and and, and DeSantos probably refused that he trusted those particular players. And but, I, but I'll that, say I mean, now, if that did happen, I'm just saying a big if. I don't agree with that at all. The sporting director should not no, be making no those chance. calls or decisions. No, that, that is that is happening a lot more than you think, especially, oh, especially yes. in European teams where analytics is huge. Management makes a way bigger thing. It's happening a lot in other sports too, but it is happening more in football. Yeah. Uh, no, I can't believe none of you mentioned that Vanny Sartini brought Christmas to August. Oh, yeah, the Christmas, the Christmas tree formation. Which that, I was like. the, that was one of the, the most drastic things I, yeah. I think about. When he said, I'm not going to make a lot of changes, I was like, that's a pretty significant change, in my opinion. And, of course, Brian White was the, the fairy on top of the tree. I don't know what you guys have on the top of the tree. I mm-hmm. usually have a reindeer. But, yeah, it, it, it was an interesting and a weird game because... I genuinely can't remember. I'm sure there's been lots over the years. I just can't remember any where it's been two interim coaches in charge. And as like Vanny was asked after the match, did he speak to, to Pablo Mastroeni about it? And he's like, yeah, because it, it's a weird situation that less than 48 hours ago, they both had different jobs. And now they're both leading their teams to different outcomes, it has to be said, in, in this match. Now... Let's just quickly touch on Freddy Juarez leaving a head coaching job. Now, his contract was up at the end of the season, but he's left before the end of the season to join Seattle as an assistant. So a backward step, but you are joining, which, let's be honest, the number one team in MLS right now. And it maybe says a lot about what Seattle do and how they're viewed around the league when you're prepared to take an assistant's job there. Baffling situation, to be honest. Um, strange, but like you said, I mean, I guess he rates being an assistant for Schmitz are higher than a future position at RSL. Which... Maybe he sees Schmitz are moving on in a couple of years, and if he's there, well, just moves into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that that that's not. Uh, but that's I not can't even happen. see. Yeah, but I can't see no. him getting the head coaching at Seattle Sounders. So yeah, I was. I was shocked. Sure, a team that wins, and that's right. Seattle. <laughs> it is. It is kind of shocking. There, there, there's got to be a little bit more to the story than we're than we than we're yeah. getting. Um, because I was, yeah, I was surprised because I, I first thought he was fired and I was like, why are they firing him? They're kind of in and around the playoff. Like, well, I got the press release saying that with immediate effect, Freddie uh, Juarez was leaving the club, wishing well in his new position. And it's like, what? And then I was Googling and then I saw that some folk had said, oh, we heard he's going to Seattle as an assistant. I was like, that can't be right. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a strange one. But for RSL, at least they got a coach that has coached in MLS before. So it's not right. that True. much of a... Uh, there was yeah. a, maybe a little bit of a dip, but more of a sideways move. Yeah, right. 
Now, the game tonight, it was a poor-looking crowd. It was confirmed in the end of 7,500. I don't know how much the the upheaval has gone. That's like half, of, pretty much nearly half of what they could have got in. There's obviously the new mask mandates. There's the rising COVID numbers. Well, let's be honest. It has to do with Thursday. But it's also a Sunday night game, though. But it isn't a school night because the schools aren't in. It's it's Thursday. Oh, but, it, but, but the, they could have had the tickets White Caps... before that. But yeah, they uh, the have a significant walk-up crowd. For, uh, number one, the Whitecaps have never sold well in the summer. Uh, and mm. and number two is that a lot of people probably had things scheduled, not knowing the Whitecaps were going to come back, like me. Like, I had things this whole week that I wasn't able to attend games at all because I already had things booked off. Were you on a boat again today? No. Oh. I didn't go to the game tonight. I watched it on TV because there was no way I could do that, the post game, and get back to do this show at a decent time. So ultimately, I, I took the call just to, to watch from home and regretted it when the goals were going in. But yeah, maybe I should just stay away and they'll just keep banging the goals in. Who, who knows? We'll just quickly go through the game. So, I mean, there was a lot more spark in the first half. They had several chances. At the end, they went in one goal up thanks to a bizarre own goal in the 33rd minute, which TSN were obsessed with giving to Javain Brown. I, t- I was like, I have well, no idea why, because it clearly went off silver. No, Paul Dolan, once he saw it in the replay, he said that, yeah, it definitely looks like an old goal. But they goal. kept focusing on Brown, and then it came up his first goal for the Whitecaps, and... Michael, yeah, I don't think the I don't think the production staff was paying attention. Really. <laughs> Michael, you're forgetting the most important thing about this whole whole game, and I, I sh- probably should know this, but I don't, so I'm going to ask. Where was the crylatch? Oh, he's suspended for yellow card yeah. accumulation. Oh, yeah, he was out of the game. Yeah, I, I know. I know he wasn't in the 18. I just didn't know why. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Hart told me that yesterday, and I was like, "Ooh, that plays into the the white caps' favor." Let, sure. let, let's uh, be honest. RSL looked terrible without him. That's, yeah. yeah. They looked Ru- yeah. worse than terrible. Yeah. Was... Rusnak Ru- didn't play well either in this game. I mean, credit no. to the team for getting the three points and reacting this way, but I don't rate this game. No, because, it was horrible. It was I think I got RSL a bit too carried was... away, and then like our good friend Manuel brought me back down to earth by saying, RSL are terrible. It's like, well, yeah, they are. Also, Justin Our... Liram had that bizarre <laughs> yes. mess. I, well, Two things about that. One, it was a bizarre miss, and then the referee gave a corner. Yeah. I don't know what the hell was going on there, but yeah. the hat was... That, 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 that should have been one... It should have, it should have been one-on-one at the half. Hmm. I, I put that miss worse than Wanda's in front of the goal because... Well, maybe not, but it was against us. If that was us, that would have been in our miss of the season, 100%, for, from a Whitecaps point of view. Great save by Max off the free kick initially, though, so we'll, yeah. we'll say that. You can't miss an open end like that. I mean, it wasn't a great first half from the Whitecaps, but they did turn it on in the second half. And for all as bad as RSL were, you can only beat the team that's in front of you. And that's true. They still have to that, do it, and they did it. Right. White, who again I thought was awful, but he made it three goals in three games. That, I'll take he, it. That take goal, it. that goal. Like, w- w- man. That's When's what it, happens like, when you get a guy in the six. Is that the dodgiest keeping you've seen oh, in a while? Yeah. Like, what, what was that? What no, was that? I've seen worse. I've seen worse. <laughs> When's the last time you saw worse? I've seen worse this whole year. There's been a lot of dodgy goalkeeping this year. 
Like that, oh, that was. Oh like no, there has horrendous. been some the guys just letting balls run under their feet. And there everything. has been a, their goalkeeping this year has been really rank. Haiti, Canada. Uh, Haiti. I was just gonna say that. <laughs> oh yeah. Don't forget about, about that, that. Poor, poor lad. But no, if you was... watch a lot of MLS highlights, there's goalkeeping is not. Yeah, there's, there's been there's been a lot of howlers this year, but I mean, why again? So I, if he keeps doing that, I'll take it. So but own, I would like a bit more goal, from him. An own goal and then a gift. Yeah, the, I the, really don't know what to take out of this game. Like, great reaction again. They had to do it, get the three points, but it's really not the way it looks like. Four one at all, you would think. There no, was someone I, involved is... in White Caps media. I won't say who. But described uh, Brian White on Thursday night as a player that plays like he has two fire extinguishers for legs. <laughs> Just because he doesn't move, I guess, much and is slow. But yeah, I mean, Gold made it 3 0 in the 64th minute. Another off, header. Off, off, off another not great giveaway. But, but a great ball great. in from Javane Brown. Jingles with, some, jingles with the move at half. Outstanding. Yeah, it was, it was oh, yeah, Jingles move yeah. as well. Like, yeah. Well, now there's another one. Leo Russo seemed to be out of favour for whatever reason and has been outstanding the last few games. I, again, questionable as to why Mark maybe didn't use him. But Gold, who's no, but not known for his heading, well, he was coming back no. from an injury, but again, it was a slow comeback. Yeah. Gold now has four goals in six games, and I'm still giving him two assists. That's what you want from a designated player. I mean, I thought he'd be more a creator and chipping in the odd couple of goals, but hey, just you get those goals coming in, that's no, fine. Well, he's he's had to score them because there's no Cavallini, so he yeah. has to Well, he's, he's been in the right place at the right time as well. Yeah, exactly. like we talked about before, he, he reads the game and the space yeah. in the game better yeah. than no, any he, other player on the pitch. Yeah. And so he's even not, even a, when a white cap's wide open on the flank, they can even they can... <laughs> can see a wide open, uh, you know, their wide open number 10 gliding through yeah. free. How many you know, times is he going to be left wide open? <laughs> Michael, he's not been in the right place at the wrong time. He's been in the proper place at the proper oh, time. It's, it's, a, it's yes. like, like where you're supposed to be when those crosses come in. Not like, like he's, he's yeah. So it's, that's, I, that's fair. He's, that's my issue with the Whitecaps have been all the time. They never have players in the right spots. When when the ball comes in, like the proper did, spot, so that's where he's been these times. Did you say you're giving him two assists in this game because of the both corners? No, no, two assists overall in his games because oh, no. he didn't get that assist as a corner. Oh, did he get right. an assist tonight as well? Yeah. Oh, the I missed flow, the flow corner, flow oh, corner. Of yeah, of course, which we'll talk yeah. about next. So I mean, flow got his first goal, 69th minute. Nice, nice. First goal is a white cap. First MLS goal, I checked it out, since July 2018. And before he came to the Whitecaps, before the season started, I watched an interview that he did in, in February, and he had said what he was targeting this year was to try and get those goals back, because he hadn't scored for a couple of years. He wanted to get the goals back. Just took Ryan Gold to send the ball into his head. I, I was impressed, though, with Flo tonight. I want to keep him in there. I'd like to see him and Godoy playing together it looked like an ultra clean sheet was on Steve but we'll just have to settle for the, the clean sheet the 4-1 loss 4-1 loss 4-1 win uh, Julio after Metcalf with a great effort off the crossbar I felt for Patty he just stuck his leg out that could have gone anywhere off the crossbar straight into the path of Julio yeah. now 4-1 great but 
4-0 would have been even better for goal difference if we'd only won 7-0. We'd have been at zero goal difference. So we're getting that goal difference down, so that, that is a start. But my question, which I guess we've kind of covered a little bit, was it that the Whitecaps were good or were RSL just really that bad? It's got to be the latter. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah, we'll, but it has I guess to say, do well, with a little we'll bit. Next week with Austin, but having watched Austin Dallas tonight and them letting three goals in in a three-minute spell at the end of the first half, maybe that won't be the good test either. Yeah, but you have to like I know I understand you guys saying that you know the RSL was that bad, but if the Whitecaps don't play up to their level, they're not going to beat even the bad RSL team. Yeah. So, um, but, them but putting... the Whitecaps didn't play at their level. They no. just like well, they, were they played. At, they played. At, I think they were. I played. I think they played quite fast. I thought they played quite aggressive. I thought they played at a good level tonight. And as yeah, I said, I you still were, have to I, beat the team in front of you. I know. Yeah. I thought they. I thought they played fine. I, I think they playing like this. They could have beaten a lot of teams in MLS, not just the RSL. No. No, no, no. I other don't teams so. don't miss that empty net in the first half and it changes the oh, game. I've seen a lot of teams miss. That. I looked at the California Classic yesterday. I felt like again, I'm watching a different league, to be honest. Like, yeah, um, yeah, well, but they beat one of those times, teams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they beat, they beat one of those teams in that California Classic, right? But eight out of ten, ga- <laughs> as access sells, <laughs> yeah. out of the ten games, they would have lost that eight times. <laughs> also, <laughs> that, that LA Derby showed how bad those two defenses are as well. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> like I said, it, it, I've uh, said it. I've said it before. I don't think the Whitecaps are that far off from making the playoffs. They're not that far. Uh, off. Oh, I think, oh, I think you're right. Now. You're right about that. I think yeah. You're right, Steve. But I'm not just talking about points wise. Talking... <laughs> yeah. No, because there's not very many good teams around. Like, I, I like like good teams are in the teams that are like one to six or something. Like. You could put some of them great with some of them good. But like I said, the Whitecaps are in the 7 to 10 range. Yeah. Uh, for teams. Well, well let, let's just let's just round this part off. I'll just give you quickly the, the standings. And we're not going to do our usual delving into MLS results. But uh, I'll give you what the results were affecting the, the Western Conference teams. It was 3-all between LAFC and LA Galaxy. Houston went down to a 2-1 loss to, to Minnesota, so that was good, good for the result. Whitecaps. Yep. SKC won, Colorado won. They're both good result. playoff bound, so it didn't matter. Dallas 5, Austin 3. Interesting game. I, I watched the first half of that, and I thought, oh, 4-1 at half time. Sort of finished 5-3. It's like, wow. And then I had the Portland-Seattle game on. Not Same. a great, not a great game, but Portland won two one, which was not, uh, sorry, two 0 which was not a great result for the Whitecaps at but, Seattle. No, it's always nice to see Portland beat Seattle, and to see, do you see the Colombian, the Colombian's tears, his whining in the game? <laughs> yes, he did. I, I, I think a lot of had to do with the addition of Freddy Juarez. I think his addition has probably rattled Seattle. <laughs> oh, it must have because they're like, oh no, he doesn't win many games. And now we've brought him in. He's like the but Jonah. the goal, the goals for Portland were both very nice. Yeah, they, they were. One came in stoppage time. Just at Bl- Blanco and I forget the, the second. The, the 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 chip at the end was nice. Yeah. So what this leaves the standings, the top four. I I'm still not sure about the Galaxy, but I think the top four should be safe in the playoffs. Seattle in forty two, KC forty, Colorado thirty eight, LA thirty six. I think Colorado I think still have you, two games in hand. I think you could bump. Minnesota into being seen. Probably. They're fifth and they've got 31. And then you've got 
amazing. It's like six teams, three points separating them. And it's it's Perm two from six, basically, for these last two playoff spots. Because Austin and Houston, they've gone now, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Portland and Salt Lake, sixth and seventh on 27 points. Whitecaps now eighth, 26, with Austin coming up next weekend. So you've got to think, here we go, into the playoff places. San Jose on 26, Dallas on 25, LAFC 24. How low can they go? I don't think they'll probably go much lower than 11th, but you never know. I mean, it's on, guys. I've been saying it's been on. Mark was saying it was on. Didn't help him. But I I I think they can do this. Out of all those teams, I still... I can't see LAFC not make the playoffs seriously. Like the way they've been playing, though. I don't know though, because no, I, 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 I see goes them. in so much. I see yeah. them missing it. I you see think them so? Yeah, it. yeah. Their home form—it's not a fortress anymore, despite that right. brilliant atmosphere. It's—I don't know. Well, while their record is six six nine, I still don't think that's very nice for them. No, mm. but that—that's it for our talk about the present. We're going to look to the future next as we look to see what might be next for the DeSantis brothers and who might be next for the Whitecaps. And we'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. There is no one to blame for this. It's been five or six days since it ended. Silence kills me in all the right ways. I just watched myself die and I liked it. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part from Spokane, Washington, I'm keeping it local, from their second album from 2019, Sleeping Through a Car Crash, that was Scared of Bears, with goodbye, good luck, good evening. And I'm playing that for Mark and Phil DeSantis. We wish... The pair of them, nothing but the very best for the future here at AFTN. I'm pretty sure our paths will cross again somewhere down the line. And I think, just to to speak on a personal level now, I don't think it's any secret to know that I had a very good relationship with with the pair of them, especially Mark. I'll genuinely miss my my football chats that, that I had with him. We talked about so much stuff, not just Whitecaps and MLS, but just football in general. And Mark was always good. He always had time for us. He always spoke and gave us great chat for for the show. I, I wish them both the very best. I'm sure the three of you guys also do as well. But what will the future hold in store for, for the pair of them? 
will they stay together or will they go their separate ways? When I spoke to Mark last year during the pandemic break, and we we talked about his relationship with Phil and having your wingman, your right-hand man there that was your brother because you know it's a guy that, that you can trust. Um, He said then that he felt Phil was the better coach and he thought that he should branch out on his own sooner rather than later. Now, he's been an assistant this whole time. Before he came to the Whitecaps, Phil was an assistant at Indy 11 under Martin Rennie. And then that was when Mark had gone to LAFC as assistant. Phil's got his UEFA A license. Do you guys think they'll stay together? Or do you think this is the time for Phil to maybe show what he's got? I personally could see Phil DeSantis at a CPL level or USL level as a head coach. I think that would be a great next step for him. That's for sure. Yeah, I think think it's probably, especially if Mark feels that way, that I think he will uh, try to get him to... Uh, look for another position somewhere else, and and kind of like you said, branch on his own, um, because there's so much so much time you could be the uh, assist uh, the assistant. Yeah, I think it'll, it might be. I, I don't think he might get to CPL level unless there's some opportunity. I think it might be a little bit lower, mm-hmm. uh, maybe like a uh, a university or some well, some uh, some lower sense. level. Yeah some lower level than where he can be in the kind of the conversation. But I think sure. I think he's right now because he has all the assistant coach experience, I think he'll probably need a year or two somewhere lower. Mm. But I think he's definitely a candidate in the future. For sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I don't see an opportunity. I don't know of an opportunity where they, they go somewhere together, although I can't see them working together again in the future. Obviously Mark long-term one day would love to be involved with the national team, which I yeah. don't think is a good, would be a good fit. Now it might've been a good fit. Well, I was going to say on. like, has his performance here? I mean, Steve said no in the first part, but has this hit his stock a little bit? Oh yeah. It has, it has to at least a little bit. Um, but, uh, I, I, one of the things I heard people just, you know, ruminating over is, you know, how long will Mista last in Ottawa? Yep. And is Ottawa a place for one or both or either of them to end up? That's something I've said to to folk for, for a few months now when I, I thought Mark was going to move on. Now, I mean, Mark told us he would like an opportunity at some point to coach overseas again. So, I mean, maybe somewhere like Portugal could be, be on the horizon for him. But he might have a chance to go away, rebuild, find himself, come back to North America. But if you're looking at jobs and positions within North America to me the best fit and he might see this as a backward step is Ottawa now he's been there before with the Fury he took them to a a championship Mister I don't think is getting the best out of the squad that he's got and with them having Spanish owners I'm sure they're going to be expecting a lot more for their investment than than they're currently getting they're sitting bottom of the, the CPL standings just now him in there, maybe with Phil as his number two, he knows the area, he knows the culture, he knows a lot of those players. I think that is a perfect fit for him if he wants it. It would be. And realistically, I mean, when you talk about North America, MLS, I don't, I, I can't see him getting an opportunity as another head coach for another club in MLS. Not what about right Salt now. Lake? Not right now. No. Salt Lake? <laughs> no. He, he, he knows, knows the knows stadium. Down there. He's, he's got his, he's got yeah. his coffee shops. Uh, right. I, the, thing, I, but... the thing is with with him, if he's going to uh, go as an assistant, 
Yeah. Um, you should definitely go overseas. You should not stay in MLS as an assistant. If you're going to go an assistant, try to find, like you said, Michael, somewhere in Portugal, uh, where you can be like kind of uh, create some roots there and mm. create some uh, connections uh, where eventually you can become a head coach there. How about I throw this idea at you? A-League. <laughs> no. Oh, well, maybe. <laughs> End of the season, Bob Bradley sacked by LAFC or mutually agree to part ways, as I'm sure it would be. He then goes to TFC and gets the Toronto job. And his two assistants are his son, starting off his coaching career, and MDS back as his number two. And then Mark ticks off the set of all three Canadian teams. Yeah, he could do that because it's obviously closer to Quebec where his uh, wife and kids could be uh, located. Yeah. So That's why I think Ottawa as well would be a good thing for him yeah. because they can keep close at hand. Yeah. So I think I think any one of those opportunities are good. Um, but I think for his own benefit, I think uh, going to – like he's done coaching in Brazil. He's yeah. obviously done it in the lower leagues in the, uh, North America. He's been a head coach in North America. Next up up is Europe. And if he wants to become a head coach in Europe, he's got to have to be an assistant there first. Not necessarily, like that... because MDS to East Fife confirmed. <laughs> I'll have a word no, with I, the I, chairman. I, uh, but I do think that, uh, jokes aside, I think that assistant in yeah. Europe would be a good step for becoming a head coach in Europe. I think he'd learn a lot there. The, yeah. the Toronto idea would be interesting, Michael. And yeah, he could do the Serge Jakanovic or Adrian, Adrian Khan trifecta there. But... Um, when you were first talking there, I was just like, and you were talking about LAFC. I was like, there, I'm yeah. pretty sure he's not going back to LAFC. Oh, no. I don't think he, I don't think he, he has any desire to go, go back. Maybe to he LAFC. can be the person that can turn them around. No, but I, I, I honestly, I don't think he has a desire to go back and coach no. there. No. What, what do you think about the Ottawa thing? Do you think that is a a, a goer or another yeah. CPL team, or would, do you think Mark would maybe look at CPL as going backwards? I don't think he would. I mean, he spoke to us about how much he, he liked the stadium at Spruce Meadows and he loved Pacific's stadium as mm. well. Yeah, I don't think Ottawa is going to be a fit because I, I don't know if his style clashes with what Atletico Madrid wants because they're going to definitely hire somebody that fits their model. Um, so I don't know if that's going to be work, but what, what if an expansion team in Quebec uh, mm. comes up? I mean, we don't know what anybody's timeline is in CPL. But maybe uh, an expansion team could work for him there. Well, but I do think that uh, that he might consider that as a step backwards. Uh, let me give you this update, Steve. My understanding is that Quebec is further away than oh. than, than you might think. Yeah, so that maybe not, might not be the best thing. Yeah. No, I mean, if they were 2023, you could do a year's assistant somewhere in Europe to just learn new skills and then come back and do that. Or yeah, depending on when they he, announced it, he's got time to then build it, but... Yeah, he could be the builder there eventually. But I do think that Europe would be a good bet for him at this point. Wherever they end up, just wish them, as I said, all, all the very best. And yeah, I, I, I will miss chatting to them. And hopefully we can maybe get a chat with them somewhere down the line as well, just to unpack a few things about them moving on. But let's turn our attention now to who the next Whitecaps head coach might be. Now... Axel was asked how quickly he thinks they might fill this position. So they're in no rush, but at the same time, if the right person was to appear in the scene next week, they're not going to say no to that. I mean, there's big questions as to who it's going to be, when it's going to be. I 
genuinely don't think we'll see it before the end of the season. I think Vanny gets given the end of the season as interim. But mm-hmm. I guess if the right person was there, then that, that might be be pulled the trigger a little bit quicker. I, I don't know. One of the, the contradictions, as we've talked about from Axel, talking about the, his press conference, he said he hadn't been considering hadn't given any thought or done any research on a replacement for Mark because he wasn't planning on getting rid of Mark. Sure. But then he also said they had a list of 20-plus candidates. So you don't just yeah. suddenly come up with that within an hour of, of letting your coach go. So I was a bit confused by that. Or did I pick him up wrong? That's why I was a little confused yeah. about that too. I They might have always... Like, you know how you have transfer, uh, the players already listed? Like, Rob has told us that before in the past, that yeah. he always has a list of people potentially. And they probably always have these kind of lists where they have potential people that would well, fit I their did. model. Yeah. <laughs> how much stock do you put in the next coach having MLS experience? Now, Axel talked about it didn't necessarily matter if the head coach did, as long as the coaching team in general did, which could mean you keep Ricardo Clark around or you bring in another assistant from a, a club at MLS. There's there's not a lot of former MLS coaches out there, I think, that we would necessarily want. In the article I put up, the only one that sprang to mind was like Jason Kreiss, who's an assistant just now in Miami. But he ha- also has the US Under-23 team. Yeah, yeah. The, the assistant coach thing or the assistant experience thing is was was interesting. Um, I don't think Ricardo Clark ticks the boxes that Too early for um, that he was talking yeah. about because mm. he was talking more about like sure Clark knows the league, but I think Axel was talking more about like someone who knows the the archaic rules around you know structure the structuring the team and the mechanisms and all that kind of stuff. That's Jeff. I, <laughs> right, but I think I think I think Ricardo Clark was also brought in for the developing too. Yeah, uh, yeah. because I mean, when Houston he was working with the young guys. Right? Yeah, Houston was he, that's what his main focus was uh, to develop young players, and he's kind of probably wants to use that in order to ex- get to the next level. I mean, but looking at the history, I I mean, how well have these coaches without MLS experience been doing? Well, that that's the thing. Because yeah. it's like, if you ask the fans, they want a name. Or at the very mm. least, someone that's got a proven track record at a high level. Mm. They're not, so many of them are saying they don't want someone who has done it at the lower level, like USL or CPL, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. haven't been tested at this level because we've been there, we've done that, and it hasn't worked well, out. Yeah. I don't necessarily well, agree with that, though. But that's that's a perception issue they're dealing with, right, Michael? Like, they've gone this route now three times in a row mm-hmm. uh, with, a, with, a, with a coach who is not tested at a, at a higher level other than, you know, you know second, second or lower, lower divisions in, in North America, right? And so uh, I feel like they, they can't go back to that, well, just simply from per, the perception perspective. And I think, I think they get that. Maybe they don't. Um, well, it's going to be but, interesting if they can land their first or second choices this time because we know that that has been an issue before. Well, they better not do what they did with the number 10 and say like, yeah, we got our top Next three one. all sorted out. Yeah. And yeah, they're down the pecking order at six or 10 or whatever. 
I mean, Axel said they're looking for a coach that fits the culture and style that they've currently got. Not quite sure what that is exactly, to be totally honest with you right which now. Which culture is he talking about? Yeah. 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 Which style? <laughs> that, that he wants him to meet his four cornerstones. Steve always loves the cornerstones. To defend as a team, give up one what? goal against, to outperform the opponents with physicality, fast transition and pressing. Well, the cornerstones, well, weren't they pillars before? Or foundations? I, I they, think it seems like pillars. Or pillars. The pillars are the yeah, cornerstones now. No, they change it to cornerstones clearly now. Mm. So I don't know. Um, uh, he, he's it, wanting a player developer, Steve. Yeah. A guy that makes players better and teams better. I'm, I'm just wondering if, uh, like, where are, uh, the one thing I wanted to find is, is the cornerstones the same as pillars? Because I could have sworn that those were different. Well, what they had pillars before. are more in the middle, whereas corners no, are at the edges. So I know exactly, and so does and that contradiction. Mean we're have a weak... It's contradiction. Yeah, <laughs> does that mean we're going to have a weak midfield again? Oh, true. <laughs> and pillars do crumble, but do cornerstones crumble? Not as much. And are you just putting the what you've got just on the edge of the cornerstone, just like the ball yeah. on the edge of the corner flag? Yeah. All, all these questions. Well, we'll ask Axel all this when we we get him on the show next. But actually, I did say that he's looking for a guy that has a record of doing all these things previously. Yeah. So, I mean, I threw some names out in my article. Some were more kind of fantasy or tongue-in-cheek than others. I just wanted to kind of find five different options, like a Canadian guy, someone that's worked with Axel before and MLS experience, all that kind of stuff. And a wild card, which I threw in of Eddie Howe, who genuinely I, I would love here. Because what he did at Bournemouth with young players and a small budget was tremendous. Could yeah, he do not, that that's, here? That's not going to happen. Well, th- th- this is a question I'll, I'll throw to you. We've Now, I, I want to get rid of this thing about the white caps are cheap and they're not spending money because they have spent money. So let, let's get rid of that. That was the, the yeah. white caps of old not spending money. They have yeah. spent money on players. Salaries, not so much, but they have spent money on transfer fees. Is this the time to actually splash the cash and get in a manager that's going to cost a lot of money? Like a guy like Eddie Howe, and again, I'm just using him as an example, he would cost to get, but I think they might need to do that at this point. The rumours were they had offered Bob Bradley a big million-dollar salary or something to to get him here when they ended up getting Robbo. I I feel if they want all these things that Axel says... They have to spend money to get that on a coach. But my, yeah. my, my understanding, Michael, though, was if you want the other side of that story, is that Bob Bradley like took the interview, but had never had any intention of coming here. That's the yeah. Thing. The, and and the Whitecaps, the what the Whitecaps got out of it was they 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 showed that they were trying to hire somebody big, and yeah. then they had to settle for. So I was more of a. Did they drop ball over again? Yeah. Yeah. Would you? I mean, looking from a coach's perspective, from that kind of level. They look at the white caps as necessary and be like, oh boy. Like coming to MLS, if I come to MLS, I mean, why yeah, the white caps? But, I mean, but at the, at but the they same have... time, would they maybe not look at the white caps as a project that looks exciting just now because of like Ryan Gold and this run that they're doing? No, the, the, no. the thing is, that the, the, they are a little bit more attractive than they have been in the past because they have do have pieces now. Now, and if they show that they they are willing to even spend more and get in other pieces, then maybe it is an attractive 
position for some coaches, but I don't know. I don't think they're uh, for me, if they do go after um, somebody name wise, um, it'll be a former, former MLS coach. But other than that, it's going to be somebody that nobody knows from like Germany. Um, I don't think they'll go for another inexperienced Canadian coach. Uh, they've already done that with Mark DeSantos, so they'll move on to a different kind of profile yeah. at this point. I'll, I'll throw some names at, at you and just get some thoughts. Now, starting off with inexperienced coaches then, Pamaduka. Now, Manuel asked Axel about Pa specifically, yeah. and basically Axel said, yeah, he's the kind of guy that we're looking for, but probably with more experience. Whether Pa would even want to come here when he's still finding his feet and doing well and building something really good there. But his players would do anything for him. Everyone through walls for him. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you, Michael, was that one of the awkward parts of the interview for you? Like, it was awkward for me when he was just like, we want to play like Pacific play. Exactly. Yes. He, like, I what? want my team to play like Pa's team. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, whether or not they actually have interest in him, it was just awkward to say that to a 100%. team you just lost to. Yeah. It was just, it was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that was. But, I mean, he he would be a good choice, but he's yeah. inexperienced. This is his first coaching gig. The guy in the CPL that I genuinely think would be an exciting prospect is Forge FC's Bobby Smyrniotis. Hmm. He's landed back-to-back championships. So he's not a flash in the pan. He's done well in the international stage in the CONCACAF League. He also is a guy that, through Sigma, has brought through the likes of Kyle Laren to John Buchanan. These guys have all come through Sigma, so he's got a record of developing young guys as well. I don't think that's as big a risk as maybe some of the, like a Martin Rennie, for example, that, that we brought in years ago. Or a oh, yeah. Robbo. Yeah, in comparison no, to I... him, Yeah, go ahead, Steve. Sorry. I was going to say that he's probably, yeah, you're, like Naveed was saying there, in comparison, he's probably very much less a, a chance to take on a, on a coach like that. But they've already done something similar to that. That's why I don't think they'll do it again. It's only because of the past failures that they, they probably won't go that route. And does yeah. he have any MLS experience or tied? No, no zero. Forge, so Forge was his first proper okay. senior coaching gig. So that's what, what Pa played in the league again was an assistant coach in the league. I mean, that's what he would have. Yeah, so I, yeah, I guess Pa yeah. does have that MLS background yeah. as well. And he was Alan Koch's assistant in Cincinnati yeah. and Yeah. Yeah. And he's well respected within the league. I mean, uh, I don't I don't I don't see a I don't see a current CPL coach that would they would mm. take a chance on. No. Zach, what if I said to you Mauro Biello? I I don't see that as being a fit. I don't think he's going to want to come here. He knows Mark DeSantis very well. He knows uh, the whole coaching staff that Mark brought here, including Vanny and, and and Yusuf and whatever. Like he, I don't think he's coming here anytime soon. I just thought I was an interesting name. I mean, it's obviously been three seasons with the impact, but I have an interesting I, I, one for I, you I guys. Was, oh, okay. I was, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. I like Marius's tweet. What about assistant coach at Manchester United oh, coach no. and Creole no chat no. Martin Burt hey he's qualified he I also mean, did not leave here on very good terms no. yeah. but I'm just saying he's at the highest level not as a coach true I mean, he yeah, doesn't like me I, I so I hope he doesn't come back <laughs> Naveed Naveed there's there's no way that no way I know I know but I'm, I mean yeah it was interesting I'll have Tom. to find a new club to cover if he comes back <laughs> 
<laughs> was it that bad? <laughs> well, we had we we had a bit of an altercation, ver- oh. verbal altercation at training one day. He didn't oh, like really? the criticism. Yeah, he didn't like the criticism that. Oh right, right. Given him, or our right. speculation and answering people's questions from the mailbag about oh, yeah. Rebo's future that he took yeah. really personally. Uh, and I was like, "Did you listen to the show?" And he's like, "No." I said, "Well, how can you go on about it then?" Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, that was a fun. The one, the, the, as long the one thing I was concerned about is that uh, with Stephen Caldwell no longer coaching the Canadian team, that he would be a candidate. So, yeah, well, I mean, there I was, was some good news had... this week, at least. So, yeah. What's that? What is that about? I don't know, but something's obviously behind that. I Maybe mean, he I'm, said something on commentary or something that annoyed somebody. As a, as a Canadian, I'm not displeased by this. No, get these Scots out of these positions. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if a German. Run. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a German coach comes in. Seriously, no, I, I wouldn't either. Well, let, I'll throw this name at yeah. you then, because somebody mentioned this on Facebook in reply to one of my comments, and I gave it some thought, and I was like, you know what? That is a good shout, Daniel Stendel. Don't know how familiar you are with him. He was at Barnsley. He then went to Hearts and got them relegated during the <laughs> pandemic. It's a, it's a fit. Because, <laughs> because they got relegated and the, they just called the league, whereas they were on a run of games. So he then got sacked because he has an out in his contract that if they got relegated, he could walk away. He's currently with Nancy um, in League Two, I guess it is, because he's, I think, that's second tier. Yeah, he's on uh, a two-year Yeah, um, he played for St. Pauli. Mm. Yeah, but he also played. For, also but what played he did for... at Barnsley is the kind of stuff that Schuster is wanting here. He also played for highest foul, so. Hmm. But I think I think he would be a good shout, and going from second tier France to here would be an upgrade for him. I think he'd be up to it. They'd have to Maybe pay. Maybe not the, the most charismatic figure, but they'd have to pay any tra- Germans. They'd have to pay a transfer fee, you think? Yeah, he's under contract, so... Well, that's fine. That's what I'm saying. Splash the cash. Well, they might have it. Coaches have outs always, depending yeah. on where they want to go. Just going on a losing run. He'll be out before you know it. Uh, we can have our own Nancy boys here. That'd be great. Before we go, any other names you want to throw at me? Anyone um, in BC? Any BC connections? Is there a BC no, coach out there? That's I don't think. Have? I don't think. I don't think Frank Gallup's coming anytime soon. What about the oh, Minnesota? Oh, no. Like, <laughs> no, the Minnesota United. What's his name again? Mark Watson. Yeah. Oh no. 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 Uh, none of those guys. He I, he, I, he I honestly think. I honestly think it's going to be either MLS, somebody MLS certified, like like uh, Jason Kreiss. And Christ kind of sounds German, I guess, a little bit. Hmm. Um, and if you <laughs> oh. put the right pronunciation on it, um, or it's going to be uh, somebody from Germany themselves. Yeah, Carlo so. Ancelotti loves it here. If only he hadn't gone to Real Madrid. <laughs> Maybe we can still tempt him. Who knows? But let us know your thoughts. Who would you like? Is there any wild card names out there that that you could see, or someone in MLS? Should they try and? like approach somebody that's currently coaching an MLS and say, look, we'll give you a bumper deal, make the sideways move. Like if we're doing fantasy booking, Oscar Perea, he's a guy I'd love here, but he's not yeah. going to come here. Look at the assistant coaches at all these MLS teams. Maybe yeah. he's one of those guys. Let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts as well. And also let us know just your thoughts on how this week has played out. 
But that is it, basically, for the show. But we're going to end with this week's Wavelength. And I, I thought we'll end with something a little bit upbeat, since there's been a little bit of sad chat in, in this episode. So we're going to a song from 2014. It was brought out kind of as a World Cup single. It's a song about growing up, loving football, and the passion that never goes away. That's what the, the DeSantis brothers have. That's what we've all got. You as listeners, I'm sure you've got that passion as well. This is a band called Puffin Ethics and a song called Wish and Chips. Until it got dark Had one of those big orange mobile phones My mum would call me and say Chris, you should be home And I was all like in my memory Mum, I will be home when I want to be Perhaps it's not so close to reality But I was a pretty good kid Usually did what she told me At a time when my life was ruled By my day Wembley to a silent primary school By my reading tier and the Premier League Football I lived ace, but thought and breathe All I cared about was the thought for two Don't worry, that's the cut Based on bad tackles, they lasted two minutes, man, they didn't even matter. When I was young, I was kicking around, cause all I knew in my heart was serious. The football is my life, and I look back, my hopes and shines that bright. Chase the dream of the fall of a zebra, and everything's alright. Without fish and chips on a Friday night, but I couldn't wait for Saturday's morning light. The smile of that grass and the tightening of my boots Lent it off to Ollie Man so he could shoot Things would never stay on the pitch In the class after lunch and we would whine About it wasn't a goal cause that was a foul But it was in, it wasn't in, debate could last for hours Playing playground matches and discussing the score It wasn't trivial, it was what our lives were for A new kid in class, that was transfer news That's where our blood actually ran in reds and blues Being a footballer, it was my pack dream When you're in it, it's crazy how big the park can seem People so often say that childhood is a bubble But that's some serious sh- playing Wembley doubles, man When I was young
from Bristol, England, Puffin Ethics, Wish and Chips from 2014, rounding off tonight's AFT and Soccer Show. We hope you've enjoyed it. Just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. Any final thoughts on anything you've learned from this fascinating week, Navid? Uh, you can find me at nmachinchi on Twitter. Um, what I learned this week, or last week, I should say, is, uh, well, it's interesting. Whitecaps front office orders food from uh, Uber Eats rather than DoorDash. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was something very interesting to me. Yeah, there'll be a phone call on Friday afternoon. <laughs> Steve. Um, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Whitecaps Beat. And what I learned is football is very uh, crazy of roller coaster of a uh, sport. One day you're burning somebody's jersey, the next day you're celebrating their return. Okay, but for me, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary AM. There's a lot of things uh, that were great about this week. Uh, a couple of things I want to say is. Uh, it was so good to see so many people at the match on the weekend or sorry, on, on Thursday. Oh <laughs> yeah. Like, um, ran into, yeah. All those people you said, Marius and Weber and, um, you know, pe- supporters from Pacific and yeah, who uh, all the, all the players and some of their friends and family, whatever. It was great. Um, well, I ran into, <laughs> ran into Marcel's wife and, and dad, uh, having sushi before the game. It was, it was awesome. Um, I also, I also ran to, to, to T-Mart. T-Mart was there with, with, Mass, with Massimo. Oh. And, and uh, he, was, he was wearing a Real Madrid jacket. And I said, oh, T-Mart, I didn't know you support Real Madrid. Like, why do you support Real Madrid? And he said, or Massimo, I think, said, oh, because of, because of some Portuguese guy who played there. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh you're, you're a big, big Luis Figo fan. Luis yeah. fan. Well, T Mart is Portuguese. No, I know, I know, but he was yeah. talking about Ronaldo. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Oh, just, I didn't just, get that joke because I maybe not. Anyways, Michael, the thing, the thing I learned this week is footballs to be told, not to be sold. Yes, wonderful quote from Pa that you have heard on our extra podcast. And if you don't subscribe to that, you really should. Oh, it was a, month, a good one. It was a good one. A, a year. Yeah. Now, we had so much stuff that I had planned to talk about in the show because we're going to talk about the Canadian World Cup qualifiers and I had some audio from John Herdman and stuff like that. So there might be another extra podcast that's coming out before that because Canada, of course, do play three games coming up. It all starts off. I'm very excited for it. And of course, next Sunday, the Canada-US game is on TSN. Folk can actually watch the game. Tremendous. Just like the Pacific Vancouver game was? Yeah, that was what why, one of the things I was going to say. One of the things I learned this week is don't trust Shaw TV listings that had the Pacific Whitecaps game apparently on TSN 4. It didn't happen. Huh. The other thing I learned this week was roads in Victoria just go to dead ends. If you take a wrong turning, you are screwed. But I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Give us a like, follow, subscribe, all that kind of stuff on YouTube. YouTube.com, AFT in Canada. We will be back with a show next weekend. Until then, take care. Thanks for listening. And more on the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day.
if you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.